Hot Tim winter rolls on and it's starting to feel just a little bit like spring. The weather in Tennessee, maybe just a little, and the fact that the roster is starting to take shape, take shape for Nashville SC. Welcome into Club and Country, the podcast of record from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. What's new, Tim? Not a whole lot. Got a little haircut. That's uh, something that the, the listeners will definitely be able to see. Uh, had, a, had a little birthday even... last week, but other than that, we're just living the dream, man. I missed your birthday, and I'm really sorry about that. Yeah, just don't let it happen again. Once. I won't let it happen again for at least a year, I promise. <laughs> Hope it was a great birthday. Any any good presents? And and you're kind of on the backside of the Christmas thing, right? Where the Christmas yeah, thing, I, the I, I'm a, the... yeah, I, I don't like to get presents, honestly. So I tell people not to give me anything. They can like donate to charity or whatever. So um, I'm sure my wife got me something. I don't remember what. <laughs> Thankfully, she's not going to listen to this. So. Our wives are undefeated in that regard. Neither one has, <laughs> has listened yet. I'll make a I'll make a donation in your name to the charity of your choice. Let's talk afterward. I'll give you I'll give a little fiver or a tenner, uh, which is five or ten more than I would have gotten you for a birthday present anyway. So <laughs> charity benefits there for sure. Uh, the center back carousel is turning for Nashville SC, and Aki Loba is out the door. No surprise on that second one. It is alone. What does that mean for the boys in gold? We're going to get into that today. Plus, potentially revealing comments in an interview that Mike Jacobs gave to MLSsoccer.com about the expectations for this team and about the expectations of the core of this team being competitive, perhaps without a whole lot of major additions. We're going to get into those comments today here on Club and Country. And Tim, I think the question now, as these moves are starting to be made, we know more are going to be made. A Mm -hmm. lot of moves, especially with Huntsville in mind and maybe the back half of this roster. I think the question we're waiting for is, will there be any more spending toward the top of the roster? And at least at one position, striker, it appears probably not a whole lot. Yeah, it looks like uh, most of the most of the uh, striker cash flow is is going the other direction. Um, we'll obviously talk about that in a moment, but it does seem like you know, and we've we've been saying this for a while, and and it may not be a satisfying answer for fans, but I think the club is very happy with what they are going to get out of CJ Sapong and mm-hmm. Teal Bunbury. Those guys, especially um, CJ, in terms of finishing and Teal in terms of injuries, had years that were worse than you have. A, expected from them basically ever um you know cj is not is not known as a stone cold finisher but last year was his worst finishing year and that's not because he got worse i don't suspect and i think i think mike jacobs and his analytics team would look at it and say it's not because he got worse either right so i think there's confidence that that position is is under control without Akeloba, um, who obviously wasn't playing a whole lot anyway um they have guys that are going to work and and we'll see what they do in the long term there and today on the episode, we're essentially going to answer that that question and present the thesis of who will Nashville be this year? Well, that, that's a pretty broad thesis. But but more specifically, <laughs> based on what we've learned so far in the offseason, what does Nashville SC need to be mm-hmm. beyond competitive and to be championship level? Or is that even what they see? Or is it a finish top five or six and get in the playoffs and see what happens kind of team? We're going to get into that today and answer many of your questions as well as we're sensing some angst in the neighborhood <laughs> uh, about the roster and some of it I can certainly understand a lot of it I can understand so we'll, we'll get into that but first ML Rose is our sponsor there's the ad read that's it <laughs> that's the whole thing right there now obviously we are we are super thankful to those guys they they keep this podcast going um you know they, they play as big a role as as we do practically <laughs> they, they, they give us the the opportunity to spend our time doing this and um obviously we love to hear the stories of of our listeners who go down there 
and um, and and essentially tell the staff at MLROs, hey, we're here because Club and Country told us about you. Um, I think most people probably the brand awareness in Nashville is probably not low, but certainly when it comes with our recommendation, it inspires people to go in there too. It sure does. And <laughs> I was looking for inspiration earlier today. I looked at the menu because I wanted to again look at some items I hadn't had before. And a lot of these are just my fault, right? Like it's my fault that I've not yet tried the Sergeant Pepper burger, even though I like spicy things. It's my fault I've not had the black bean crunch salad. It is not my fault, though, that I've yet to have the burger of the month. We're only nine days in as we record this. The burger of the month, Tim, looks dynamite. Check this out. Porter Road Smash Burger. It's a 14-day mm-hmm. dry-aged pasture-raised Porter Road Butcher beef patty. And it's got all the classic stuff you want on it. American cheese, grilled onion, pickled tomato, a potato roll, uh, and steakhouse aioli to go with that. Man, that is a burger I'm going to have, I think, more than once in the month of January. Yeah, and uh, I used to go to the Porter Road Butcher uh, in the best and most important neighborhood when there was one there, and I no longer have that opportunity. So ML Rose to get my Porter Road Butcher fix now. I'm not going over to East Nashville (laughs) to get that. You I'm know, going to ML I mean, Rose. There are limits, exactly. Yes, and, and you've got the West Nashville location, of course, of ML Rose. You've got Capitol View. You've got, uh, man, there's so many now. Mount Juliet, I've been to that mm-hmm. one. It's great. And, of course, 8th Avenue near Geodis Park. And as you are making your plans for the season, you're buying those tickets, go ahead and allocate your time. Go ahead and prepare. You don't need reservations to go to ML Rose, but make them in your mind. Make some mental reservations to go try Things like the Porter Road Smash Burger. And what I love there is they're partnering with local restaurants, right, mm-hmm. to do their thing. And certainly local brewers as well. So many great local beers there. And um, this podcast is now over because I'm hangry. I didn't have much of a lunch. <laughs> so goodbye, everybody. We'll see goodbye. you next We'll time. talk to you next week. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> but here's the segue. A lot of NSC fans are hangry for a striker. Uh, mm-hmm. especially as Ake Loba is, is out the door. So we're going to talk roster today. We're actually going to start in defense and then work our way up to, to the top of the formation. And in our gold nuggets, we're going to break down some things that Mike Jacobs said. Friend of the show, Mike Jacobs, somebody that, that we certainly both admire as a professional and as an individual. And of course, anybody we admire is still open for questioning. And, and certainly that is the case in the front office of a sports team. And so I think you know, many of you have questions. We're going to ask those and try to answer some of those today. We'll start with the big news, though, late last week. Dave Romney to New England for $525,000 in GAM. That was a, a package deal, though, really, of the day, as Nashville then turns around and spends 50 k of that GAM on Nick Dupuy from LA Galaxy. So one LA center back to another. And Tim, it, it appears... Both from Irvine, man. This, both, it's perfect. It was like that slot was, was had to be an Irvine the, the, Yeah, for Irvine allocation money was spent. <laughs> I am. I am. Uh, and I am happy to be here, probably, says says Nick Dupuy, but he might be sitting behind Jack Mayer, as this would mm-hmm. appear to me to be the elevation of Mayer to that other center back spot. But Dupuy coming in still gives you that ability to have a guy you don't have any problem putting in the roster in the 11 for a three-man back line as well, I would imagine. But what do you see here? Yeah, I mean, first of all, talking about the Dave Romney thing, um, it, it, it depends on what your opinion of him is. Uh, if you think he's basically a replacement level, I think Nashville has um, gotten essentially the same player, but a year younger. Um, and Nick Depew didn't have an off year last season, unlike Dave Romney. And Nashville got um, netted 475000 in allocation money on it. I, I think, obviously, the world of Dave Romney, I do not think he is a replacement level player. I think Nick Depew is, is probably around there. Um, the, the underlying stats really liked him last year, though, and we'll see. 
what you're looking for if you are putting together a roster for Nashville SC is not the best center back. You are looking for essentially the best complement to Walker Zimmerman. And it's possible that that Nashville has essentially already had that on the roster in Jack Mayer, although they do kind of point to Mayer as a Zimmerman analog. But, um, you know, if you're if you're getting what appears to be a similar or the same caliber of player for a lot less money. Um, and again, a year younger, there's, there is value in age, especially because Romney had his, his most injured year for Nashville SC yet, you know, missing more than one single game makes it his most injured year, of course, but <laughs> it is something to look at and say, Hey, if, if he's not going to be the iron man that he was, you've made the right choice there. This is exactly how the super draft is supposed to work, especially when you get a generation Adidas top five, mm-hmm. top 10 pick. It is not to transform your team overnight, but it is to bring in somebody that is projectable. And from day one, they were, as you said, calling him a young Walker Zimmerman, not in terms of expectations necessarily, but in terms of physical capabilities. And it would appear that Mayer is is certainly rising as you'd want him to. Uh, favorite, favorite Dave Romney moment in Nashville? Uh, for me, it was when he asked me in a press conference what his expected goals was on a specific shot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rarely did he get a chance. To shoot. And so he was, he probably had that locked and loaded. Like as soon as I shoot yeah. the ball, I'm going to ask him, what shot was it? Do you remember when that was? Uh, I do not. I, I believe it was, it could have potentially been that first goal from the run of play uh-huh. in Geodis Park because it, I, I'm pretty sure it was a goal. I don't remember. I would have to go back and look. I probably made note of it in the story when I, when I put the press conference video up because I thought it was very funny, but. <laughs> That was my favorite moment was that first goal from the run of play at Geodis. It was a scramble in front of goal coming off an, off a free kick. It was a bit yes, of an awkward then, play. Then it was that because yeah. I, I like explained to him the, the, the difference between an expected goals on a shot and team expected goals. Cause you can't score more than one goal on a possession. So his rebound like counted for fewer team expected goals. Cause it would have eclipsed 1.0 on the, on the entire thing. And he never talked to you again. No, he was, he was like, I don't understand why that is, but I'm very interested. And he was, listen, he's going to be gone from Nashville SC, but he's going to remain an extremely curious, like this dude, like wants to think about the game in ways mm-hmm. that you look at, like, like Dax McCarty is very different because Dax has such a broad range of experience uh, within the game. And he, his is about knowing people and stuff, but he's genuinely curious about things still. Dave is genuinely curious about like the stat side of things. And, um, That'll be an interesting fit with Bruce Arena, I guess. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Study that in your spare time there, Dave. Uh, excited for, for Romney to have an opportunity in New England. We'll absolutely miss him. Uh, just to recap, he missed all of 90 minutes of regular season action in Nashville's first two seasons, and it was the last game of the second year against New York Red Bulls that he had to sit due to injury. This despite... You know, having any of the knocks that that any center back in this league is going to have, he he powered through and and was certainly a found a foundational player for this team that that Nashville will miss, even as the money ball's paying off and you're you're netting there in that first year about 200k in game um, positive, and then all of that second year game that Nashville's getting obviously straight straight to the to the coffers. So uh, I think it's a good move, even if Nashville will certainly miss miss Romney. Uh, the move most people were talking about though was not that. It was Ake Lova. He's off to Mexico on loan to Mazatlan. But because it's a loan and because of other certain conditions, Tim, this doesn't free up the club's DP spot. So that can't really happen until he's sold or until other conditions are satisfied that Mm -hmm. we're not here. Nashville's best hope, though, as we previewed here in, in recent weeks, 
is that option to buy is triggered. He plays well in Mexico. Mazatlan purchases him, and that DP slot returns in time for a summer transfer. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be terrible for him hanging out like on the Pacific Ocean <laughs> while he while he plays. Actually, Mazatlan's not real. Is hot it right okay? Now. I knew him in the but El Chapo's son was arrested in Culiacan, and that violence has spread to Mazatlan. So, wishing him the the yeah. best there. Um, not not a great time to be going to Mazatlan, a place I've been by the way. It's beautiful. Yeah, but hopefully he's he's safe there. Yeah, in in terms of when the the DP slot can open up, so we don't have to talk about drug cartel murder. Yeah, that was a bad dark turn. Sorry. Um, I I think given that that his contract um, before option years from Nashville SC's end was up at the end of this year, my guess is that there's a handshake deal agreement, and that's either with Mazatlan itself or with a third party who can who can exercise a purchase option that Nashville kind of has left open ended. It really seems like to make that purchase official in the summer and NSC. Has has probably both that handshake agreement, not if not you know completely handshaken upon, but kind of agreed to in principle, and then you would hope a DP signing to fill that slot during the summer window. We've seen them fill DP slots in the summer window in two of the previous three years, so that's something that you would keep an eye on there as well. So I think that that's probably what's going on. I do think that there will be a third DP slot available, if not a third DP, at some point in the season. Yeah, that's that's the problem, right? Until Loba's off the books or Walker or Honey are off the books. Yeah, good luck. Fat chance <laughs> at this point there. Um, so, Tim, do you expect any kind of TAM situation here? Maybe somebody to come in at a non-DP contract, but a striker to come in from elsewhere there or some sort of intra-league move at this point with all the game that's been stockpiled? Or is it just hope he plays well in Mazatlan, that option is triggered, and yeah. as you've said, somebody's waiting in the wings for uh, for a midseason signing? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a possibility that then an intra-league uh, signing is made because of the GAM stockpile they just mentioned. It could be a, a TAM-level player. Um, I believe since Hani restructured his contract, he could technically be bought down with TAM. I don't think Nashville will ever do that because <laughs> because of what the uh, the symbolic value of having him as a designated player represents is, sure. is very important. I'm not going to lie. It's very important to Hani. It's important to his ego. And, and you an elite player deserves to have an ego. So, I mean, the rule is that enough of Loba's salary has to come off of Nashville's books via the loan agreement that um, that they're paying him below the the value, the uh, the cutoff for a designated player because of the way his contract is structured. That literally cannot happen no matter, you know, there is not a number that Mazat line could pay that would uh, make him not a <laughs> that would make him not a designated player at this point, which is why he has to completely come off the books to make that happen. So, uh, like I mentioned before, I do think that he comes off the books in the summer. Uh, his his contract is over at the end of 2023 and Nashville can get value by selling him or by having that agreement in place where they're kind of eating some of the the salary that Mazatlan would otherwise pay him before Mazatlan takes him on permanently, for example. <laughs> but uh, I do think I do think that there's a chance that a, a goal scorer shows up or at the very least there is space for a goal scorer. Whether it's an intra-league acquisition soon or a DP spot over the summer window, giving that hope certainly to supporters who are clamoring to see that. <laughs> Meanwhile, just I don't just... think I don't think it provides them a, a whole lot of solace, but uh, it is possible. Uh, I don't think they believe it is probable. <laughs> there you have it. And in a little bit, we're going to answer that question of whether that's crucial for this team, whether mm-hmm. they have to have that extra piece or whether they can do with what they've got. But just to just to level set here. True or false? I think I know what you're going to say here. Aki Loba has played his last minute in a gold kit for Nashville SC. Or, or a blue kit. 
Yeah. Uh, sounds like potentially a black kid. Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would be stunned if he if he suits up for Nashville see again. The Ake Loba train is leaving. It's going around the bend. Let's get to the gold nuggets then. And some comments from Mike Jacobs. Through an interview with MLSsoccer.com, credit to Tom Bogert, the mustachio of Menace, who's been on this show as well. So two friends of the show had a chat, and they decided to publish it. And they invited us. <laughs> they didn't invite us this time. We will invite. Uh, we will likely invite Mike here in the coming weeks to to chat with us and maybe some others from the club as we get closer to to the season. Don't want to overpromise there, but uh, get ready for the season with us as hot and winter ends. Uh, in the interview, though, Mike really emphasized a few things, but one of them was that this club's core would be the driver of its success. It seemed as if he was trying to set the expectation that, bad example here, but Jossie's artist is not walking through that door. And he just went to, to Austin's door. So it's a bad example, but yeah. here's some money quotes from who, that Who would want a poor man CJ Sapong anyway? <laughs> anyway, our gold nuggets today are going to be money quotes from that interview with Mike. And uh, I want to just kind of break down what he's saying and translate uh, until he gets the chance to translate for himself uh, here on, on the Club and Country podcast. The first thing he said to, to Tom, kind of mashing together a couple of quotes here, he says, this is the group that's been very successful over the last three years. It is built to be very competitive in the Eastern Conference. It's a veteran group, one that's very deep. The group as construction gets constructed. As constructed, we believe is built to be very competitive. Our current DP situation and roster gives us flexibility to make further additions in the summer. Tim, I'll ask you to agree or disagree. Does this team's core, as it is built, have what it takes for this team to earn a home playoff game this year? Which I think most would say is the general goal. Yeah, I mean, it, it's largely the same core as last year, true or false. Like, I would I would guess 9 to 11 <laughs> starters I guess since Romney is not going to be back, but most of the starters will be the same as last year. And that group should have hosted a home playoff game. Um, obviously, they dealt with the adversity of going through that season opening road trip, and they never seemed to get comfortable at Geodis Park, probably because of the weirdness of of starting with such a long road stretch. They didn't kind of have that rhythm. Um, of course, there was the hilarious uh, LA Galaxy must make the playoffs ref show with two uh, penalties, <laughs> one of which MLS later said was an incorrect or pro, excuse me, said said was an incorrect call. So, I mean, this was a team that was already kind of right on the cusp of what we're asking of them, essentially, which, I, you know, not to get into it too deep right now is is largely why I think some of the the griping that we're going to answer in the mailbag might be a little bit overstated. But I think they're they're close basically any improvement on the margins plus you look at some of the guys that they've brought in to to augment the core and you're right there i like the guys who are brought in to augment the core i, I think mm -hmm. that part is definitely i like Tafa pico a lot i i yeah. know i said that the week that he signed but i think that's going to be a much bigger signing than people realize i completely agree with you and i think that that what the wings can do helps erase what you need your number nine to do to an extent, obviously a portion of what you need your number nine to do. And we'll get into that in just a bit, but I, I will entertain the notion that this core, yes, competitive. Yes. It's a playoff core. It's also a core that's a year older. And so you start to get into the injury question and who's going to line up in central midfield launch alongside Sean Davis for 30 plus matches. Can on go that distance? I think we know Dax probably won't. There are fair questions here. And I think there Absolutely. needs to be more augmentation of the roster. And, and I don't think Mike is saying here that there won't be, 
I think he's setting the stage for the fact, though, that the team we have now is largely the team that we're going yeah, to these see. Are, these are the broad strokes of this the team that you are going to see. Yeah. Yeah. Then he talked about Ake Loba and he said, I have a lot of confidence and belief in Ake's ability to score goals in Liga MX. There's a lot of variables in international recruitment. That's not an excuse as he tries to address maybe why this didn't work in Nashville. He said players adapt differently to new leagues, climates, cultures, and teams. It was hard for him to adapt to our team other than in the role occupied by the league's MVP. He wasn't going to steal minutes from Hani, but he didn't steal minutes at striker either. Tim, is Mike just touting the player here a little bit and saying that he has faith that he can score goals in a tougher league in many cases than MLS? Or do you think that Ake is going to succeed enough in Mexico to earn Nashville the return that it wants financially? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought before the signing became official, you and I talked about it in this space. I talked about it on the website for months before it did become official, that it was going to work out and work out incredibly here. Um, I'm still surprised that it didn't. Like Mike says, that's not necessarily an excuse for management. Their job is to get those signings right, regardless of whether they looked like they would be right. If they are not, that does not count. <laughs> you don't get half credit for that. Um, he's still a good player, though. That's the thing. He can make an impact at Mazatlan. He he probably could make an impact at Nashville SC in different circumstances. Um, I, I think Mike made it clear that he believes if Hani didn't have the year that Hani had, there there was a chance that Ake was going to take some minutes and, and make an impact here. When you look at the the quote as a whole, though, and and to get to your question about it, is there's no reason for Mike to puff him up artificially in any way at this stage. He's going to be out of contract by the time he's relevant to Nashville SC again, unless he's sold in the summer. And if he's sold in the summer, it's going to be on the basis of what he does or does not accomplish at Mazatlan. The resume is not going to be Mike Jacobs told Tom Bogert that Ake Loba is good, therefore we're spending however many millions of dollars on him. It's Ake Loba scored nine goals in the Clausura, and therefore he is worth spending however many million dollars on. Fair enough. Uh, he, he wasn't a knockout dynamite player at Monterey, except uh, at the expense of the Columbus crew and CCL, but Nashville hoping he can fit into a lower budget Mazatlan team and, and perform well. Final quote, as he addressed the uh, Dave Romney, Jack Mayer situation and really seemed to confirm what we said a minute ago, which is that this is Jack's moment to step up. He says each year we've all seen Jack's performances grow with his age and experience. He's earned the opportunity to have a larger role. We think he forms a really unique partnership with Walker and between the other center backs we have completes a pretty good center back group. Unclear. I, I don't remember if this was right in between the mayor, uh, or the Romney trade being announced and, and Dupuy coming in. Can't exactly recall. Uh, nonetheless, the question I think that, you know, we need to answer and that we started to answer a minute ago is, is Mayer ready? Is it time for Jack to be the guy at left center back? Yeah, I think Mayer is the guy. And uh, Mike has made that clear. I think Gary Smith has made that clear in the instances when Dave Romney was not available last year. He was saying, Jack, Jack is our our guy. Um, You know, the milkman's going to deliver or whatever people were saying about him. Um, I don't think he's, he's a lock in the lineup. Depew can definitely compete for it. But the staff's preference is going to be we are going to give Mayer first crack at this, um, you know, for for various reasons. He's a younger player. You know, I've already mentioned the value of age, um, but but a lot of it is it comes down to this is a guy that's familiar with the system. Depew is is a nice player. He is a guy who is going to play minutes for Nashville SC, but I think they would prefer that. Um, you know, Mayor come and, and continue improving. If Mayor continues improving, it's it's not going to be a competition, to be quite honest. I I like Nick Depew a lot, but he's not he's not going to be the sort of player that Mayor's ceiling um, could allow him to be. Several other signings this week, and I think as you see these get tweeted out as a fan base, maybe there's some 
who are inclined to say, well, that's not a DP striker. That's not the number six slash eight we need. But of course, what we've prepared folks for is there are a lot of signings that are needed to fill out the next pro roster, get Huntsville moving or spots 27 through 30 uh, on, on the roster, things like a third keeper. So I won't, we're not going to tick off these signings here is what I'm saying, but are there any you'd like to flag? Are there any of these that, that you think might be more than just, Hey, he'll fill out a Huntsville roster spot in a couple of years. You know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't think any of them specifically as it relates to this is the guy to keep an eye on. He is the one that you want to watch. But I think what we have seen is is maybe starting to unfold the the tale of how Nashville SC believes it can use um, Huntsville SC, how the utility it thinks it gets out of having a reserve team. I know, I know they're going to be mad that I use that term because it's against the MLS style guide to call it a reserve team, but um, there, there are going to be a bunch of hyper young prospects on the roster, guys from the Academy who go and play, but Nashville's not afraid to give a shot to a 22 or 23 year old guy. Who's going to have a make or break year. Kemi Amici, the guy who um, just signed on Monday afternoon as we, um, you know, 40 minutes before we started recording to pull back the curtain a little bit. He's a guy, he's a guy who's probably not going to mess with the senior team roster, but if he comes in and has a great year, he can immediately move up to the MLS team and, and make an impact there. And if he doesn't, it's it's very little risk to the MLS franchise to have a guy like that playing in Huntsville and, and probably finding success in Huntsville. That tale of this Huntsville club forming is one of my favorite storylines to follow. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot to track, but excited to track it and to track it here on the show. Uh, the preseason schedule is out. Not going to read it off. You guys can look on the Nashville SC website and see it. But highlights would be uh, the one match at Jodas Park against Louisville City FC. Uh, games against five different MLS squads. And then a matchup with the U.S. Men's National Team under 20. So that's kind of fun down in, in Tampa. Preseason fact. Nashville SC has lost just one of the nine 90-minute preseason friendlies in its history. It has never been shut out in preseason by an MLS opponent. Only once. And it was by Elfs. Org pronunciation. Mm-hmm. My Swedish is rusty and more of a thing. <laughs> uh, that was in that first year. So uh, preseason, obviously unfolding quickly. January 21st, that first match down at IMG Academy. Most of it will be spent down in Florida. Any notes you'd like to give as uh, we start thinking about what preseason is going to look like for this club? Well, Elfsborg of the Swedish Elsvenskan was one of the teams that recent signing Nabiu Perry has scored against in the Elsvenskan. I like I was like scrolling through his stats as I was writing the story. I was like, wait a minute, I I recognize that team right there now. This is the only podcast in the world where that sentence will be used. (laughs) That or that will be discussed. Deep cut. Deep cut, Tim. No, it, it's it follows a pretty typical um, you know preseason of what we've seen for Nashville in the past few years. A couple games in Florida, come back home to reset, go back down to Florida and legitimately prepare for the season. Um, you know, it, what's interesting to me is that every single opponent, uh, yeah, every single MLS opponent is an Eastern Conference team. So that these are teams that Nashville is going to see twice in the regular season as well. It's going to be really interesting to see. First of all, how they compete against these guys, and and secondly, if if they kind of pick up some tendencies that they can take advantage of, or or vice versa, these their their coaches are on scholarship too, too, to kind of turn what I usually say <laughs> on his head. So, I think that's going to be really interesting. It'll be very sad on February 10th when Dave Romney is in the starting lineup of a Nashville SC game, and it is not for the boys and goal. <laughs> Disorienting, extremely disorienting. is what that's going to be. January 21st, that first preseason match. 
looking forward to the seven contests as Nashville SC will get ready for the season to start in uh, late February on the 25th. Uh, and we'll be at ML Rose uh, many times throughout this year to celebrate before and after matches. And in fact, right now, uh, ad hoc, as I'm thinking about it and looking at my calendar, I'm going to propose an ML Rose dry run for anybody who's around and wants to gather at the 8th Avenue ML Rose uh, we do not know yet whether that Louisville City match is going to be open to the public. I would guess not. I would no. I would not expect it to be. Would guess very much not. And yet, sometime that week, whether it's that day or not, I'm going to be at the Eighth Avenue ML Rose and invite uh, listeners to to join me there. Put myself out there. My wife and uh, and my baby are going to be out of town on on their winter <laughs> wonderland trip to Canada. For a couple of weeks. Uh, so now we're starting to figure out what's going on. Here. Yeah. So I'm, so that's exactly, I'm free. <laughs> I'm free for burgers and beers. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a busy work month for me. A lot of work travel, but the January 30th week is, is the one week that I'm here and free. So you will catch me at Melrose maybe multiple times. So I'll uh, update folks. And uh, Tim, if you're around, feel free to join. You're all over the place travel wise too. So understand if you can't, but uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there soon enough for sure. Listen, Wes, I've already promised that I'm at least going to stop by the day of the U.S. Women's National Team She Believes Cup game, uh, February 19th. So you you go and have your little JV ML Rose party. Uh, <laughs> we'll get more, we'll get more people out for mine. I think uh, I'll be there for that one too. If okay. I'm back in town, I'm spending some time up in Canada with the family and hoping to be back in town by then. So more to come. Next up, though, the mailbag and a lot of good questions, many of them about that striker spot. So we'll start there and we'll start with Logan Elliott. He says, is, are, is there any roster mechanism that could see Loba's DB spot open this summer? And we've talked about that a little bit. What's the likelihood of that happening? He said, I could see the sense of loaning him out for half the season, but Logan says he's struggling to see how a full season loan helps Nashville. Yeah, Logan's Logan's second point there makes a lot of sense. Like I mentioned before, a full season loan means his contract expires while he's out on loan and you get no return for him. Um, so, th- so it does make the most sense to loan him out for half the season and either use him for the second half of the season, which I, I have already said I believe to be unlikely, or you know, complete a sale to Mazatlan, complete a sale to a different league at Mekis club. I think that that's ultimately what is going to happen in that situation. And then Nashville will... Open that DP slot as soon as he's completely off the books. Um, they will not recoup all of his $6.8 million transfer fee that um, John Ingram will, will write off as a business loss, I'm sure. So that's something um, that that is just it, it's not going to count against the roster budget anymore. It is going to count against the businesses uh, books. Uh, it doesn't really matter as much from our perspective. We are fans of the sporting team, not the, not the business. But um, yeah, to, to, to get to the to the DP slot. I think given Nashville's past in-season DP signings, um, when they signed Jandrakadis, when they signed Loba himself, they wanted to make them in the summer window of the season so they could see where they most needed to spend that DP money. And yes, the Loba signing was one that was already in the works for months. As I've already said, we were talking about it seemingly every single week here. But it makes sense not to bother opening the slot now. If you're not planning to use it until later, there's really no disadvantage. The DP slot counts. It's either sitting on your shelf and you're not using it or it's occupied by Akiwoba and you're not using it. So it makes sense if they want to wait until the summer, as long as they have a way that they, um, you know, whether they have that handshake deal in place that I already mentioned, as as I suspect, but do not know. That's not a report. That is just my opinion (laughs) that that sort of idea is already in place. Yeah, my hunch would be that if it is occupied in the second half of the season, it will not be occupied. 
Yeah, I, I was else. like getting ready to make an when you said occupied. I was like, oh yeah, I could do a pun. No, he's going for it. Wes is going in two footed. <laughs> you knew I would ruin it, and I would get the blame, and so you decided to hold back, and that's a good move because I just got the red card. Uh, Trajan Watkins, who in the world's going to be the club's number nine this season? Anybody else coming through that door, or Tim? Is it the guys who are currently up top? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's CJ Sapong um, for me, and I think for what you see on the roster right now, I don't think there's a way that. Um, you know, a high a high budget guy comes at least not before the season starts. The issue is CJ had a year last year that was not his typical year. He was a little bit less productive with the underlying numbers, but he undershot his underlying numbers way more than he has historically. If he just finished at his career average level, I don't think people would be concerned about this question in the first place, <laughs> to be quite honest. And then you look at getting a lot more out of the wingers. You might not need as much out of the number nine, and you might not need as much as you already got out of Hani Mukhtar. Jacob Schaffelberg, uh, Fafa Pico coming in. Uh, improvement from Zapong, as I already mentioned. Improvement from Randall Leal, who undershot his expected numbers by, by far the most that he has of his three years in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I really think the attack, people are people are worried about it, and I think it's justified because it was honey or nothing last year. But I think there are also reasons for optimism as well. Yeah, I, I'm on team, you know, get a DP number nine in 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 July. I'm on that team. I, I support it. I think it will be what this club needs to get it across uh, from from a, a good to great team to to an elite team. With that said, that's my soapbox right now. And so I'm going to get down to John Mueller's question and get on that soapbox. And because because you just hit what I want to talk about, too. So John Mueller says, what would you guys say is the most underrated, understated part of NSC's roster as it stands today? Uh, or does Mike know that he can, in fact, use GAM for purposes other than supplementing salaries? <laughs> Enjoy the sarcastic question there, John. I think when people think about goal scoring, they're going to go to the number nine. That's where you should go. You need a number nine who's going to put in 15 goals in this league if you're going to win a championship. I don't think people go to the wing. And yet... With Fafa Pico coming in, with what Jacob Schaffelberg showed us in glimpses with the chalk on his boots playing wide, wide out to that left, with Randall Leal being more of the 2021 version than the 22 version, you don't need CJ Sapong to be the guy to score 15 goals. Or, mm-hmm. conversely, it becomes easier for him to score double-digit goals because he's going to have that help. I think that's the underrated and almost not considered part of this team that you know, this team is still going to be a counterattacking team. I think this is going to be a team that's going to be one of the fastest teams in Major League Soccer, at least on the wings. And therefore, I think it's going to be, here's my prediction, the most fun, subjective term here, team to watch in Nashville SC's four years. I think it's going to be Nashville's most fun team to watch because of what it can do on the wing, because of the way it's going to be able to counter and create space. And when you have those home run threats, teams are going to have to respect that. It's going to help the defense as well as Jack Mayer comes into that starting role. So I think the wing is vastly underrated. Uh, I think layout probably looks a lot more like the eight goal, nine assist guy from 21 than the three and eight guy in 22, which was hampered by some injuries. So the support for Hani is not going to come exclusively up top or even primarily from up top. I think that is the area of the field where Nashville's banking on fueling its attack. And I think there's going to be some success there, Tim. Yeah. Well, you said they don't need a striker that, or they do need a striker, excuse me, that's, that's going to pour in 15 goals. I think there's a striker who scored zero goals as his team won the World Cup in 2018, who's out of contract this summer. His name is Olivier Giroud. Now, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting here joking about it. Watch them sign him this summer. I would I mean, laugh and laugh and be laugh. so happy. Um, but, but, um, one thing that I that I do actually did think of as you were talking is is some of the things that CJ does that that aren't goal scoring that have that facilitated the year that Hani had. Mm-hmm. People say, "Oh, Hani Mukhtar was the only piece there." Well, 
you know, there are a lot of things that CJ did that didn't get him an assist, but were integral to, to Hani getting that uh, production that he did end up getting. So it is important to keep in mind that yes, you, you would love to have a 15 goal striker. You prefer a guy that, that makes the other players around him better. And I think CJ does that a little bit more than, than he did the goal scoring last year, certainly, but he, he has always done the things that make the guys around him better. Um, And like you mentioned, I, th- I think, uh, you know, the the improvement of the rest of the front line is really going to help CJ. It's going to help Hani. I think Hani's numbers are going to go down, but his effectiveness may not go down despite the, the counting numbers going down. And that is because those those wing additions are going to be really underrated until we actually see them in person. So be frustrated with the lack of a marquee number nine. That's fine. But understand that may not be the number one key to success for this team this year. Quickly from Tracy, now that we know that the club has decided to loan out Loba and pay some of his salary instead of buying him out and opening his DP spot, where do we go from here? The discomfort from the supporters is real, he says. How big of a risk is this from the front office with 30,000 seats to fill? Yeah, I'll take that last question first because I don't think there's an attendance risk. And we are the sickos. You and I are the sickos, and mo- most of our listeners are the sickos who who follow every single you know piece of day-to-day news who can tell you, uh, you know, who is the most recent signing from Campbell University. Uh, but the average fan doesn't know or, or honestly care what a DP is. They know there are three players that that don't count against the, the salary cap or whatever. And that's probably the or whatever is probably much. They're much more confident saying that part than the, than the rest of it. NSC has every intention of of being a team that wins. And that's what the average fan wants to see. I think to, when you talk specifically about filling Giotis Park, Nashville intends to be much better at home than they were last year, which is where they really struggled. Six, five and six last year is not the sort of season that they wanted to have. So I think that the discomfort is it's legitimate for sure. If you are not happy that there doesn't seem to be a, a top goal scorer, that's a fair feeling to have. It does not look like there's a top goal scorer who, unless his name is, is Hani Prince Mukhtar. <laughs> so <laughs> that is something that is very important there. Um, but I, I think the average fan wants to see a good team. They don't really stress about how the team is good. They they know one name. They probably know two names. Actually. They know Hani Mukhtar and they know Walker Zimmerman. Hey, that's how we can help teach them what a DP is, I guess. But as for going from good to title contending, that's where I think you really do need to get some sort of return from the spot that Loba should have been occupying. Um, you know, pointing to him as a top, he's a top 30 transfer in MLS history in terms of spend. Pointing to him as any sort of lack of ambition is, is incorrect. It didn't work out. That is absolutely true. But I think he showed the ambition that this club has and, and every club has misses and, and you know, you got to hope that the next one doesn't. And the way this... League is structured. If you show ambition and it doesn't pan out, it takes some time sometimes to mm-hmm. climb back under that unless you want to just take a huge loss. So I think that's something to to bear in mind. Finn Breeland taking it a U.S. men's national team direction. As we look ahead to World Cup 2026. Oh, yeah, let's do that, Finn. I love it. What are some <laughs> off the current radar U.S. men's national team players who y'all think will play an impact in 2026? Context, he says, saw Herc Gomez's 2026 roster predictions. Basically, a carbon copy of this year's accepted center back seemed odd to me. And, and Finn, I think that would seem odd to me as well. There are going to be some new names that we might not even have thought of. Tim, what about some that you have thought of? Yeah, to his point, when you look at uh, either um, you know 2014 predictions for 2018, uh, don't don't ask anyone how the 2018 World Cup went. But even when you look at those those you know post Kuva predictions for the 2022 World Cup, there were a lot of guys that people were certain were going to make it that were nowhere near the men's national team, and there were guys that hardly anyone had heard of who who played big roles. Um, you know, Jordan Pifak. Um, is a guy who didn't make the World Cup, but it was 
at that point, a name that people basically hadn't heard. People didn't know he was American. You look at Yunus Musa, a guy that people literally did not know was American until, um, you know, a couple of years before the uh, World Cup qualifying began. So that's the sort of situation that you look at. I want to name a couple guys that uh, it's 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 they are more speculative, I will say, <laughs> because that's the nature of, of the it's thing. Here. He's asking for off the radar guys. Um, Alex Mendez is a guy who who has has the type of sauce that you like to see from a from a player. He he makes the plays. He has historically been a a um, less than physical specimen for a lot of the time. He's a guy that I think is is if he can physically mature, he's one that is going to make a pretty um you know a pretty important step in his career and that could see him make the roster um a, a guy that i really like oh my god i'm gonna blank on his name all of a sudden diego luna from real salt lake a, a dude who um speaking of less than physical specimens uh he can play like 60 minutes a, a game but but talk about a guy that that can make all the passes that can make all the dribbles he's basically a classic number 10 you know he's the dude that you see out at men's league just standing around but then making incredible dribble incredible pass incredible shot so that's the sort of thing that um you don't value them until uh until you realize that their that their lack of athleticism is, is something that you can overcome with their skills and that's something that you really don't realize until it comes down to it. You can see athleticism and you can see how athleticism is going to develop three years down the road, less so with, with other aspects of the, of the game. So I think that those two guys, for that reason, there are some really good physical specimens down the road, more of your Josh Sargent's, I guess, if you want to do another analog to the current national team, the guys that you look at and say, wow, this guy's an incredible athlete. He, if he gets the soccer part together, unfortunately Josh Sargent did at just the right moment to, to contribute to the men's national team for this world cup. There are some of those on the pipe too. I, I, uh, I can't think of any right off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are some uh, listeners who, who can tweet at me and say, Hey, here's you idiot, Tim. Here's, here's a couple guys that you forgot for that 2026 roster. For 2042, go ahead and pencil in Cameron Bowling. Uh, <laughs> at the very least, as a uh, manic supporter, probably yeah, probably just that. Actually. You know what? I, I will name I will name one more, and I don't even remember which category he goes into. But of uh, Philadelphia Union product Quinn Sullivan, because he has the same name as my daughter. <laughs> you know what? Two talents in their own right and in their own yeah. areas for sure. <laughs> uh, Austin Beaver with our last question today. It's a long one. This is an emailed question. It's a good one though. He says, I, I know you are both Mike Jacobs fans. I'd like to think I am as well, but I need a little reassurance, Austin says. As unbiased as possible, is Mike Jacobs net positive, neutral, or slightly below par in his moves as GM in his career at Nashville SC? We obviously cannot deny some major value wins. Hani, Zimmerman, Schaffelberg, early returns, among others, uh, alongside his viable game hoarding fetish. <laughs> <laughs> Austin says, I'm, I'm honestly reading this for the first time. So that was fun. Uh, however, he's missed on some major moves as well. Loba, Cadiz, Nazarit, Pinheiro, among others, not to mention looking over the potential value of players like Madronda and Vasquez. I've got some disputes there, but I'll leave them. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's me. Uh, also, he says the seemingly valuable deals he's made with Alistair and Daniel Rios saw those guys go on to rise in value after he let them go. So hot Tim winner and feelings ball, Wes. Thank you, Austin. Hit me with some compelling reasons why his wins outweigh his losses or some MLS GM industry standard data so I can feel a little better about these big goose eggs he's had with a few moves. Yeah, so I think we look at things with an NSC-centric viewpoint uh, for obvious reasons. This is an NSC-centric podcast and we're talking to an NSC-centric audience. But you have to remember that every team has its <clears throat> has its misses. If you want to point to um, Jandar Cadiz as a, as a miss, I will absolutely push back against that. He was 
doing really well and then went on international duty with Venezuela and, and got a major respiratory illness and never played for Nashville SC again in, in particularly meaningful time. He had a couple substitute appearances after that, but that that's a guy who was going to work out. And for, for reasons that are really nobody's fault, it didn't, um, you know, if you look at Miguel Nazarit, it was a swing. It was a swing and a miss, but every club has these. Um, look at some of the big money spending uh, teams out there that that have had even worse misses. Douglas Costa with LA Galaxy is is going to go down as an all-time clunker, even though he's he's still got at least one more year on his contract, I believe. Basically, everybody that Atlanta signed over the past three years, basically everybody that FC Cincinnati signed until this past year, has been a miss. Um, yes, Mike Jacobs has his misses, but in saying, oh, he has his misses, you kind of you know are glossing over the fact that so does everybody else. Um, you know, his hit his hit rate is is you know, Hani Mukhtar was I, I think a two point seven million dollar transfer fee. I think Nashville SC got more than their money's worth out yeah, of that. Say so. You know, look at I, I can continue. Shakiri, Chicharito, Higuain, famous flops. Obviously, Chicharito has really come around, uh, you know, over the past maybe you know fourteen months with LA Galaxy. But it was it was going down as a famous flop before that. Even though this is a dude with a huge name, there was every reason to expect that he was going to be successful, and it just didn't look like it was going to work out. That's that's the nature of sports. Everybody's going to miss. I I don't think that you could claim that Nashville SC has missed more than anyone else. If you look at uh, <clears throat> Roster budget versus position in the table. I, you definitely cannot say that NSC has missed more than anybody else. They're consistently one of the bottom third teams in terms of spend and, and within the top third in terms of, of what the results are on the field. Would you prefer to spend a little bit more money and, and say, hey, we're competing for first every year? Of course, absolutely. But if you want to compare kind of over the, you know, the field of, of 28 to t- now 29 general managers, I think at the very least, you could say above average. I don't necessarily think he was a number one. I think I think just about everybody in the entire country would say Garth Lagerway of, of the Seattle Sounders and now of Atlanta United, unfortunately going to turn around their fortunes when it comes to making terrible decisions, um, <laughs> is, is number one and everybody's kind of competing for number two. I, I think you could make an argument that Mike ha- could be that number two, though. It's, it really is that good. I don't think you're going to make an argument that he's below average. No. And, and it's just a matter of it's kind of a matter of taste beyond that. Do you want to maximize the money ball or do you want to maximize the results and say, let's let's you know burn some money to, to try and chase this? It really is a full philosophical deal. But at the end of the day, when we think, OK, Look at this um, Brandon Vasquez trade. Well, Brandon Vasquez didn't play for Cincinnati for two years before he suddenly broke out this past year. Nashville wasn't in a position where they could use a roster slot on a guy like that and say, hey, come sit on our bench while we pay you a pretty penny. They needed guys to come in and contribute immediately. They didn't necessarily get the replacements right, but they were making those decisions with some of that um, you know, roster machination in mind. Yeah, I would say unequivocal. Long monologue from me. Yeah. Unequivocal. Good monologue. I have five <laughs> per episode, so no judgment. Unequivocally, Mike Jacobs is a top 10 general manager in Major League Soccer. And when you start to consider the challenges that he was up against, such as creating a club out of whole cloth, like Nashville had to do and did with historic success, resources being fine, league average perhaps, but not top five. I think you have to move Jacobs into top five consideration. I would I would completely mm-hmm. agree with with you, Tim, and putting him toward the very upper echelon in this league. And yes, I we will we will come out and we will criticize the misses. Aki Lobo was was certainly a big one, and you could very well make the argument he's knocked down a peg from that one move because when you spend 
When you go for the king, you best not miss, right? When you go for the DP at $7 million, you, you want to make sure that hits. It didn't. That mm-hmm. that is that is to some extent certainly on the GM. And I think he would he would take ownership of that and did, you know, in that interview. But I think when, when what we forget is that perhaps the best testament to Mike Jacobs' elite status is that questions like this are being asked heading into year four of Nashville's MLS history, because it means he has set a level of expectation for an expansion club that is historic for a club that is not spending the kind of resources that LAFC and Atlanta did entering this league. Now you can put Austin, I think, in in Nashville's category a bit, uh, but even then in year one, they were not close. So I think building a strong core as quickly as Mike Jacobs did Mm -hmm. is an incredibly underrated accomplishment. And yes, it's time to build on that. And so anybody who's getting restless after not winning a playoff game for the first time ever in club history this past year, be restless. Good. Be demanding. That's great. But I think above average has to be the answer here because the positive side of this ledger is way above certainly one notable miss, but but some other smaller misses as well. Yeah, and I think I think one of the big maybe um, points of tension is is less about his quality within what he's trying to do, and more within uh, about the philosophy of, of what he wants to do. Because what he wants to do is is kind of a moneyball philosophy, and it's absolutely fair if people don't necessarily love that philosophy. I think the the work within that philosophy has been nothing short of elite. Um, there is potentially an argument to be made that that philosophy has a ceiling. Um, I would say, you know, Philly has kind of proven that that's not necessarily the case, but Nashville also doesn't have an academy like Philly has. So there are things that you need to do to build on the, the Moneyball philosophy that Nashville maybe hasn't done yet. So, you know, I, I don't think anybody here is is going to claim Mike Jacobs is perfect. I think if Mike Jacobs came on this podcast again, um, if he became our first four time guest, I believe it would be, uh, he, he he would say the very same thing. He has not been perfect. He he said as much to Tom in the interview that you mentioned earlier. But I think within the the constraints of the philosophy that he has been very deliberate about implementing, um, it's hard to find a lot of fault. If you want to, you know, kind of alter the philosophy and, and aim for a, a higher landing point then yeah, yeah, I think there's room for improvement in that regard in a big way. Keep buying tickets. Keep that revenue coming. So the club <laughs> so those 30,000 seats, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> go to ML Rose as well. Also support this, the, the people who cover the club. That that was totally gratuitous. Do we want to get into Renegade at all outside in? Is there anything we can say that hasn't been said elsewhere? Any any thoughts you want to give there before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I will, I will say really quickly, uh, Check out if you are not yet a, this is not my official content recommendation, by the way, but if you are not a scuffed patron and you don't have access to the, to their bonus episodes, my good friend Vince, um, uh, who will probably not be coming down for the Louisville city friendly because it's not going to be open to the public, but, uh, he's a, he's a Louisville city fan. Absolutely crushed it on the, on the Renegade episode of, of the scuffed patron podcast. It is incredible theater. Um, I think everybody, is well aware of Watkey by this point, who is a another uh, very comedic voice on that mm-hmm. podcast, and then of course um, Bell's trying to keep the whole ship running in the right direction. It's incredible radio. Um, I, I can only dream of being um, as funny as those three guys are when you put them in a room together talking about crazy moms, helicopter parents, all all the stuff that goes into Renegade. Uh, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Uh, it. The fact that it stems from an episode where Greg Burhalter was telling a positive story of Gino, Gio Reyna accepting responsibility and showing personal growth, and then his mom just losing her mind about it. Don't even need, don't even need to get into it further than that. But it is 
it's a wild story and, and truly the day we became a, a proper football nation as as many have said since <laughs> <laughs> there's that humorous aspect to it i think it's just such a sad story though in general right it, it reminds me mm-hmm. just not let sports ruin long-standing relationships yeah. know, especially ones that were rooted in sports and rooted in what what we thought would be deeper you know these guys were in each other's weddings from mm-hmm. from what i've read and understand yes. for halter and, and reina it's it's just it's sad i think it's 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 funny at a theoretical you know plot yeah, level yeah, absolutely. it's sad at a personal level and and i i don't think and also hope that that this will not I don't think this will, and I hope it won't impact Gio Reyna's future with the men's national team. Uh, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but certainly it has damaged some relationships. Yeah, I, I think his talent will be the the final arbiter of his duty with the U.S. men's national yeah. team. I think his, his the the episode uh, highlighted aspects of his personality that have always been a little bit uh, of an issue uh, with the U.S. men's national team. Um, but I think in the in the end, what you hope is that. Uh, you know, relationships that have been fractured can be repaired that that, you know, people who who, like you mentioned, were in each other's weddings do not lose their friendships over something like this. It just seems to be a really, um, you know, a, a situation that 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 stems from a very serious event. There is there is no excuse for um, the alleged domestic incident that that Greg Berhalter yeah. and his wife had, you know, when they were 18 years old. There is no excuse for that. But also. It's 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 a private event that I don't think Rosalind Burhalter would love for the world to know, and now they do. So that's something that um, it's 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 sad in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does sound, from all accounts, that that you know you know therapy works, counseling counseling works. It sounds like Greg Burhalter and and most involved have have kind of overcome some of their some of their past transgressions, and unfortunately, it's it's been brought back to the forefront, and it's really not. It, for me, it's not fun to have to talk about that instead of being able to talk about soccer, honestly. And I and I hope that, I, I as much as it, it truly makes us a, a you know tabloid centric uh, soccer culture, it's not something that appeals to me that much. No, I like to talk about soccer and my soccer culture, <laughs> if yeah. I could, please. Uh, man, what what uh, what a weird saga that's far from over. I would I would think. All right, on to the final whistle. You reference having another content recommendation. What you got? Yeah, it's a uh, soccer analytics 2022 review. It is a it, it's essentially a list of of articles of of PhD theses of various uh, writings about soccer analytics and, and soccer tactics. It's by Jan Van Heren. He's the head of technology at Club Bruges and a research fellow at KU Leuven. Um, he uh, compiled a list of I don't know a couple hundred articles probably. Uh, find it at Jan van Haren, um, J-A-N-V-A-N-H-A-A, two A's in that, Haren, R-E-N, dot B-E. Um, just incredible reading. You guys know I like this nerdy stuff. So I, I'm, I'm uh, my New Year's resolution will be to read every single one of these eventually, but it's always good to, to kind of expand not only what we what we know about analytics but uh to to paraphrase donald rumsfeld of all people to get the unknown <laughs> unknowns things that i didn't even know i was i was uh unaware of <laughs> those are much scarier than the known knowns or the non unknowns in the defense world but more fun when it comes to what yeah. we're learning that's uh, that's great in 2010 the al-rabia family left their home in iraq in the hope of a safer life they moved to homs in syria just before the syrian civil war broke out that's the beginning of the summary of 
Homes uh, by Abu Bakar al-Rabia. It is a great uh, refugee story. You might note that last week I talked about Outcasts United, a group of, of refugees, young refugees playing soccer in Clarkston, Georgia, formed a team. Uh, that book was wonderful in illustrating some of the issues that they dealt with. Um, since then, have gotten into the Syria story in particular. I think it, it is a shame and it is a... Um, a testament, unfortunately, to my ignorance in the moment that I overlooked a lot of terrible things that were happening over the past 10 years in that country and uh, because it was happening on the other side of the world and, and learning right now about, you know, I knew, knew the broad strokes. I follow global events, but but didn't know a lot of the specifics. And this is a, a beautiful and tragic uh, story uh, of a refugee who ends up, I'll ruin the ending for you, uh, but he ends up in, in Canada safe, uh, but it is his childhood spent in, in civil war, in conflict, first in Iraq, then in Syria. And it traces the, the macro picture of the conflict throughout that. But why I'm talking about it here, in addition to the fact that I just read it and really appreciated it, is that soccer is his entree into Western society. Uh, when he gets to Canada and he can't speak a word of English, he speaks soccer and he bonds with his PE teacher at his Edmonton uh, Alberta school because that person is welcoming him to a soccer game. That's how he gets to know the other kids. He talks throughout the book about Messi and Ronaldo, uh, and he has good taste in liking Messi more than Ronaldo. But uh, but also um, he uses he uses soccer as his entree into society, uh, into our society, and, and out of a society that is so deeply culturally rich, but was in such a terrible place. And uh, it's it's a beautiful story by Abu Bakar Al Rabia. It's just called Homes, a Refugee Story, published in 2018. Great soccer tie-in, but it's definitely not a soccer book. It's a hard, it's a hard read, or I, it was an audio book for me. A hard listen at times, just about four hours via audio book. So really good, rich content, and would certainly recommend that. And listening to some other stuff about about Syria now, that will uh, will give you a soccer recommendation next week to be a little more lighthearted, I suppose. Um, it's it's great stuff. Tim, any final thoughts before we head out today? No, just uh, as always, thank you to everybody who listens, but thank you even more to everybody who tells a friend about us. Um, rate, review, subscribe. That stuff is all important. Tell a friend. We we thrive on the word of mouth sort of people. The, mm-hmm. If you like the show and you have a friend who likes Nashville Soccer Club, it's a good chance that either they will like the show or you guys can talk a mess about us behind our backs. And that will be fun for you guys as long as you both download. No such thing as bad publicity is something I actually very much don't agree with as a public relations practitioner. But if you want to give us good publicity, please do. Uh, please spread the word and, and we'd certainly be honored. Uh, and those of you who have done so or have tweeted about us or reviewed us, it really is a really cool feeling. But it's not really about us. It ultimately spreads the word about this podcast to other people who are looking for that kind of content. So thanks in advance for doing that. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the the beats on the front and the end of the show. ML Rose for the delicious sponsorship. I'm off to get a burger now, I think. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. As Tim mentioned all that stuff, but I got it on my list to read it. So there, I read it again. And uh, thanks to the 440 Sports Network for the platform. We will talk to you guys next week.